Today, we're beginning a three-part series on the importance of living in community. We're going to look at what do we do when there's wrongdoing, either done by ourselves or someone else. Second, we're looking at why it's important to encourage each other and how can we bear one another's burdens. And the final week, we're going to take a look and see why it's so important that we live in humility as we interact with each other. So for today, let's look at wrongdoing. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. A number of years ago, my husband and I played in a citywide co-ed volleyball league with a group of our friends. We were not awesome, but we always had fun. Well, actually, we did always have fun even, but we mostly had fun. I remember one night, the line judge seemed like super biased. We were certain that balls we were hitting were landing in, and he's like, out. And then the other team would hit him out, even what we felt was like way out. And he'd be like, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that one was on the line. And it was getting kind of frustrating. At one point, one of our friends started joking with him, and he's like, dude, who on the other team is your relative? And he responded super fast, oh, my dad's the guy in the blue shirt, and he started waving at him. But honestly, that wasn't my good story today, clearly. I just remembered that when I put myself in the gym talking about the fact that we played volleyball. So let me get back to what I'm supposed to talk about. Anyway, this one particular night when we were going to play a volleyball game, I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to make it. I can't remember the time we were set to play, but I remember I had an evening meeting at eight that night. That sounded intense, didn't it? When I said I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. What I meant was I just wasn't sure if my schedule was going to allow for me to play that evening because I had a later evening meeting at eight that I had to attend. I was serving as a co-chair on a countywide committee. And we were hosting a group of individuals from around the area that were coming to talk through some recent developments that had caused some divisions within our group. We weren't a part of the conflict, but as a committee, we were offering a place for people to air their grievances. And our intent was hopefully to help them come to some sort of solution. Anyway, I decided I'd try to do both. I really wanted to play volleyball. I really didn't want to attend that other meeting. But we started to play. Our games went long. We won the first game. Then we lost the second game. And both games were super close, so they took a really long time. And then we came to the third and final game, and the lead just kept going back and forth and back and forth. We had to win by two points. And I can't remember what the final score was, but I do remember looking at the clock and thinking this game is going way longer than I thought that it would. The games ended leaving me with not a lot of travel time, so I had to quick get ready in the locker room and sprint to my car. One of my teammates was also on the committee I was, so she was in the same boat I was in and ran to the car with me. A uh, little mixed metaphor there. She's in the same situation I was in and ran to the car with me. I was digging in my purse as I was driving, looking for my Carmex, and she asked if I wanted to borrow her lipstick. I told her, well, I don't really wear it very often because I don't know why, but lipstick changes shades as the day goes on, and I never really know what it's going to look like. My friend started going on and on about her lipstick and explained that it was way different than anything else I likely had ever tried. 
She dug in her purse, took it out, and she showed it to me. As she opened it up, I looked at it, and it was kind of the same color as chapstick. I was like, what color is it? She told me, oh, never mind, wait. I'm just such a big fan of this. I actually saw this on QVC, and it's amazing. You put it on your lips, and it just changes color to accommodate your own skin tone. So it matches everybody. Oh my goodness, whatever. I just wanted her to kind of stop talking about it. So I started putting it on. Then she suddenly jumps in. Oh, be careful because it actually kind of stains your lips and you can't wipe any of it off if you mess it up. So because I was doing this while driving, I thought, you know what? I better not keep this up because I can't guarantee no mess up. So I just decided to not put on too much more of this stuff and quit while I was ahead. So I handed her back the lipstick kind of smacked my lips together as we got out of the car and ran toward our meeting space. The first half of the meeting went well. Everybody went around and was able to share their thoughts and feelings on the issue we had at hand. We hadn't come to any consensus yet, but the opinions were all out there and everybody seemed to be eager to work toward a solution. This was about an hour and a half. So after this, we decided to take about a 10-minute break and then reconvene. I ran into the restroom, and when I got to the point of washing my hands, I just glanced up into the mirror. I shocked myself. I looked again. I looked closer. My bottom lip was neon purple, like Minnesota Vikings helmet purple. My top lip, on the other hand, had absolutely nothing on it. As I was taking the sight in, my friend walked in. I turned toward her slowly. My palms were raised in kind of a what kind of gesture. My eyes were wide. My mouth was dropped open. And I was just slowly shaking my head. Uh, She could not stop laughing. After she gasped, actually. I finally managed to say, did you not think to say something? She kept on laughing. Finally, she said, I was just sitting next to you. I never even saw it. Oh my goodness, this is like the brightest purple I've ever seen. It's probably because we were playing volleyball and you were hot when you put it on. It's just so purple. As she was going on and on, I started scrubbing my mouth with a bright pink elementary school soap and a scratchy brown paper towel that just disintegrated onto my face. She said, honestly, that is not going to come off unless you use a special remover. I had to do something, but I didn't know what. I thought, well, I could put it on my top lip and look equally ridiculous because who knows what that color is going to turn into. Or I could just go ahead and keep on making the statement I started with. I decided to just choose the latter. I was afraid what color my top lip might turn into. So I walked back into the room as though one neon purple lip was the way to go. Our meeting ended about an hour later and actually ended well, but our meeting ended about an hour later and nobody ever said anything about it. (laughs) Well, to me anyway. That's kind of the way it is with wrongdoing sometimes. Sin, doing the wrong, is sometimes like a bright purple lip. It's there, it's obvious, and we might not even know it. It might be clear to everyone around us that there is something way off. Others might be thinking, are they doing that intentionally or not? Are they aware of it or clueless? What if I am the person stuck in some sin and nobody says anything about it? I might continue to live in that trap and never experience the freedom that can be found outside of it. Or what if I see someone else caught up in some harmful behavior? 
making poor choices that are hurting themselves and those around them and are are going against God's word. We might be tempted to sit and say nothing to the offender, hoping that maybe they'll notice it eventually themselves and do something about it. We might be afraid and not want to risk ruining a relationship or maybe risk having them turn on us and start pointing out something in our own lives in retaliation. So we might choose to say nothing to them and instead walk away and maybe talk to others about them using phrases like, how can she just not know that? In what universe does she think nobody notices these things? How could she be so clueless? Super wrong approach, right? Or the other extreme, someone might find it exciting to notice sin in another. They might actually kind of be looking for it. I think we might have all experienced someone like this before. This person cannot wait to run up to you and say, hey, hey, crazy, your lip is crazy purple. Everybody sees it. You do not. It needs to stop. It is bad. You are bad. God hates your purple lips. Okay, just to be clear, I am just using this as a euphemism for sin. I really don't think purple lips are in and of themselves simple. So anyway, being eager to confront sin in another is also a super wrong approach. So what is the right thing to do with wrongdoing? What does God's word say about this? How do we live in community with each other when someone is clearly in the wrong, whether that someone is us or someone else? Genesis 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken or caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual... Restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Do you hear this? This is not what we would call confronting sin. It's not a confrontation. A confrontation, by definition, is coming face to face, especially with defiance or hostility. I am not hearing this in that verse. So clearly, we're not talking about some bulldozing, judgmental confrontation done without relationship, but with great glee. This is not what's recommended here, or anywhere in Scripture, actually, for that matter. There is not space here for that. What Paul is saying to the Galatians is something far different. Paul was writing to a church that was struggling with wrongdoing instead of rightdoing. Actually, they weren't struggling with wrongdoing. They were killing it at wrongdoing, but they were struggling with rightdoing. Paul was likely responding to those who had been caught up in this wrongdoing, but were met with harsh condemnation under the law. Paul was concerned that this type of response would not lead to repentance nor restoration and would more likely distance the wrongdoer and divide the church. In the chapter right before this verse, Paul had been teaching and encouraging the church to see what does right doing look like? What does it look like to allow the Holy Spirit to inform your life? What does it look like to live righteously as opposed to allowing our flesh to inform our behavior? and walk around in wrongdoing. In Galatians 5, 16 to 26, which was right before this verse, Paul had said, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are in opposition to each other. So that's why you do what you don't want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, 
promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, or anything similar. Paul says, I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, right doing, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against these things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we now live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul's saying, if we're going to live as God is our ruler, with him leading us as the sovereign of the kingdom, what we would be doing would be things that were present in his kingdom, things that flow from the Spirit, those nine qualities I earlier mentioned. So what do we do if someone was conceited, provoking others, envying others, or caught up in in one of these other items that Paul had mentioned? What if they're caught up in these wrongdoings? How do we respond within this community? That's the question that brings us back to Galatians 6.1, where Paul had said, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Five super quick things I want to point out in this verse. First of all, Paul is writing to a gathering of believers. These men and women love one another. They worship together. They eat together. They care for each other. They truly want what's best in each other's lives. They're already in community. They're all professing followers of Christ. They're all imperfect on this journey together with a goal of living a life that honors God. So when we talk about wrongdoing, it's within this context of community. The gathering of the church is not perfect. That we well know. But this is not talking about the church going outside and looking at others who do not yet know Christ and pointing out their sin. That's not what this verse is about. So he's talking to those within the church, a gathering of believers. Second, the goal of sharing concerns with another person is restoration. It's restoration to and with the group. It is not pride, it is not abandonment, it is not shaming. Third, the word spiritual in this context, it said, you who are spiritual is the one who's restoring it. This is used as a reminder to the reader that if and when they find themselves as the instigator in a conversation such as this, what they need to remember is that they too are spiritual beings who have received forgiveness from Christ himself for all their own sin past, present, what they might yet do. In other words, this believer is no better nor worse nor farther along or further behind than the one with whom they're going to share their concerns. It's a side-by-side pathway on this journey together, and it's always important to keep this in mind. Fourth, this communication is meant to be done in a spirit of gentleness, meekness, and humility. It is not coming in hot. Can't wait to say something. In fact, that's kind of a good general rule. If you see someone and you are excited to be the one to confront them, the chances are high that you are not the one that God is going to use. 
So it needs to be done in a spirit of gentleness, meekness, humility. And we know gentleness is not in our wheelhouse naturally. This is not something we can find apart from the Holy Spirit. We are not gentle nor meek. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to speak to us and through us. We cannot do this on our own. And finally, Paul says that this type of conversation should be done with a clear inward look. The one who is spiritual, who's speaking gently to their brother or sister in Christ about a concern they have with regard to wrongdoing, needs to be careful not to fall into temptation themselves. What does that mean? Temptation to what? Well, first and most obvious perhaps might be the temptation to becoming conceited, as Paul had mentioned. The temptation for pride. Well, I need to confront this person on the sin. I myself do not need to be confronted. No, but what I need to do is make sure I confront other people. Watch yourself. You who are spiritual, speak gently to this brother or sister. Do so with the intent of restoring them, bringing them along. That attitude is not going to do that. Secondly, as we talk about this conversation done with a clear inward look, we're being careful not to fall into temptation to pride, but also not to temptation ourselves with regard to our own life and life choices. And so we need to be careful that we ourselves are not getting caught up in any wrongdoing. But if we are, we also need to be ready for someone to come and and tap us on the shoulder and say, you know what? I am guessing this is unintentional, and you may not even know this, but can I just mention, because I love you dearly, that what you've got going on, it's this big purple lip. (laughs) It's this sin. It's this wrongdoing. And can I help you with that? We need to be ready for someone to tap us on the shoulder and to embrace that as we live together in community.